Well, we got those masks off, and now the dust is coming down from the rafters with that good singing. Praise God. I invite you to take your Bible and turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. We'll read together Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12, as we've been doing for a few weeks now. This is God's Word. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you, When others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account, rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God abides forever. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do thank you for your word. You've caused it to be written down by men whom you've chosen. You've preserved it even until now for our good and the preservation of your church. We ask now that you would enliven our hearts to receive this word, to understand it, and apply it to our lives. We ask it in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. One of the great wonders of the world, in my opinion is how the Americans who fought in World War II, who gave all to defend their country, could turn around and raise some of the most self-centered children on the face of the earth. We have created trouble for ourselves. About nine years ago, I remember listening to a podcast called The White Horse Inn, and the guest speaker on the White Horse Inn was a social social psychologist, easy for me to say, by the name of Gene Twingy. And if you were born between the years of 1985 and 2015, probably 2021, now she has labeled you as Generation Me. She said, I see no evidence that today's young people feel much attachment to duty or to group cohesion. Young people have been consistently taught to put their own needs first and to focus on feeling good about themselves. They've been raised in a culture that places more focus on the self and less focus on the group, society, and community, according to Twingy. The aphorisms have shifted to believe in yourself and you're special. 
I think if this generation were to reauthor the Westminster Confession of Faith, it would begin this way. What is the chief end of God? To glorify man and to enjoy his creation. This is only inflamed by social media. Twingy did a study amongst college students about how this narcissism, as we call it, you remember Narcissus is the, the, the mythological man who admired him, his own reflection in the lake. This narcissism comes forward in college students who think that they deserve a C just because they show up to class. And I asked this week a professor out at Southwest Mississippi Community College if this type of attitude persists today. And she said, oh, definitely. But we come to Matthew chapter 5, verse 5, and we find these words. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Jesus is teaching, that, teaching us that Christians, Christian folk, are known by their gentleness and that they may have confidence in a future inheritance. Christian people are defined by their gentleness. They are known by gentleness and they have confidence in a future inheritance. These Remember these traits, as we might call it, as we walk through these Beatitudes, we're looking at traits that define a believing person. Uh, they are linked together, and so uh, we'll see this morning that the person who finds himself poor in spirit then mourns over his own sin, the sin of the world, and the consequences of sin, and he becomes a meek man. First of all, then, Christians are known by their gentleness. This, this term could be defined as meekness, translated as meekness or gentleness or humility. There's a connection to the previous traits. Uh, the poverty of spirit produces mourning, and mourning produces gentleness. So that one commentator says the first trait describes the man more as he is in himself, right? This is the work of the Spirit within you that you recognize if I were in a negotiation with God, the only thing I bring to the table is sin. This trade is me in myself and I'm brokenhearted. The second pictures him more definitely in his relationship to God and the fellow man. Think about man's relation to his fellow man. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 and 2, Paul speaks of coming to the churches in Corinth, and he wants to come to these believers in a spirit of meekness. Turn there with me, if you will. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. I, Paul, verse 1 of chapter 10 of 1 Corinthians, myself entreat you, look, 
by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I, who am humble when face to face with you, but bold toward you when I am away, I beg of you that when I am present, I may not have to show boldness with such confidence as I count on showing against some who suspect us of walking according to the flesh. So you see, what, what you should see there then is, is how Paul is contrasting this meekness and this gentleness with boldness and confidence. You know, not that there are not times when Christians, especially, I believe, shepherds, step forward in boldness and in confidence. But it is distinct from our meekness and our gentleness. We come in lowliness, especially in the lowliness of Christ. And the meekness of Christ then is opposed or opposite to boldness and confidence. Look at Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. Again, thinking of this gentleness as how we relate to God and our fellow man. Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. There's the status. You are holy and beloved. In Christ, unchangeably, infinitely, holy and beloved. That cannot be changed. Now put on these characteristics. Compassionate hearts. Kindness. Humility. Meekness and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Here we see that Paul is linking the forgiveness, the interaction of the body of Christ to the spirit of the body of meekness and gentleness of humility. Forgiveness and harmony in the body are linked to our meekness of person. Meekness and gentleness are especially a fruit of the Spirit. According to Galatians chapter 5, verse 23. In other words, this kind of attitude is impossible to produce apart from the Spirit's empowerment and awakening. You will not be a meek person. You will not be an humble person. You will not be a gentle person apart from the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. But I want you to consider something also. That we find these characteristics pronounced in Christ. Matthew Chapter 11 and verse 29, you'll remember that Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. He describes himself as being meek and lowly and gentle. He says, Take my burden and I will give you rest. In Matthew chapter 21, verse 5, he says, I come, he comes gentle and lowly as a king riding on a donkey. What should we understand from that? Well, that, that this characteristic of a man is not an aspect of his fallenness. You're not meek and gentle and humble as a result of sin. Christ 
was Adam before the fall. He was endowed with all of the characteristics as a man of Adam as he should have been. In other words, what we find when we look at Christ is a true man. A whole man. A man whose heart is completely set on the pleasure of Almighty God. And in him is gentleness. In other words, when the Spirit of God comes upon you and He changes your heart and He awakens the dead self and He sets your sights on God above, He gives you, in changing your character, listen to me, He changes your character and gives you a taste of the man that you will be in the world to come. You get that? He gives you just a little taste. And as you are conformed more and more to the image of Christ, you are getting more and more a taste of the man that you will be in the world to come. You won't be a little bit meek, a little bit gentle, a little bit less self-assertive. You will be perfectly gentle in the world to come. Therefore, gentleness is not a defect of sin. It is an aspect of your renewal. A marker of your renewal. Jonathan Edwards, though, as he was pastoring in New England, he was walking around town and he noticed that Christians in his town, rather than becoming less self-righteous and less self-assertive, less self-confident, they were actually just finding another reason to be self-righteous. And he wrote about it. He said, but this self-righteousness is from a great mistake of what is intended by a man's being wholly brought off from his own righteousness when he is converted. It's not meant that a self-righteous principle is wholly done away, that there is no remains of such a disposition in the heart. There is as much of the remains of self-righteousness as there is of any other corruption in the heart. You have been freed from the condemning power of, the, of sin but the corrupting power is still there. So your natural tendency is not to be general, gent gentle and meek and mild and lowly as Christ. Your natural inclination is to be self-righteous, is to be me, me, me. I'm going to get mine. We have this tendency, don't we, to walk around and say, oh, look at that sin. Oh, look at that sin. I'm glad that's not me. And we're just like that old Pharisee who said, Lord, I'm glad I'm not like that tax collector. Consider, though, how this would have been a real temptation for an Israelite. We have Abraham as our father. The law is ours. The prophets are ours. The promises of God are ours. And so they take pride in all the trappings, but they lack the understanding of any of them. Oh, I was raised in church. Oh, yes. Mom and dad raised me on the catechism, taught me what to believe. 
And it becomes, do you see, a form of self-righteousness rather than leading to its proper result of gentleness and lowliness. We hear Danny Ruth preaching and praying from, from the pulpit about all of our sin, the positive and the negative, and how we're arrogant. That somehow just goes right over. It doesn't bring me down. Christian gentleness is a fruit produced by a complete emptying of self-confidence. Let me say that one more time. Christian gentleness is a fruit produced by a complete emptying of self-confidence. It results from the recognition that you are not good enough. You are not worthy. And that your only hope is the grace that comes to you through Jesus Christ. Your only boast is what? Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30 and 31. You recognize that not only have you done wicked things, but you are capable, listen to me, you are capable of all kinds of evil. You can identify with the statement, but for the grace of God, there go I. Or even better with the statement, I am the chief of sinners. Nobody is worse than me. This statement should ring in the ears of every believer. And listen to me. Listen. These are not characteristics which get you into the kingdom. These are the characteristics of someone who is in the kingdom. They are characteristics that go on defining the Christian. You can identify with these biblical descriptors. I am a worm. I am a maggot. I am the off-scouring of society. What does gentleness look like? And we're going to go through a lot of application as we work through the Sermon on the Mount. So I'm going to give you just a few things. It is the person who delights in service more than being served. It is the child who obeys with joy rather than grumbling. It is not comparing your sin to someone else's sin. You address the sin of others only after considering your own sin, which you know to be far, far worse. You accept difficult providences. Difficult providences. With grace and humility rather than complaining. You can look at every hurt, every pain, every ill that comes your way in life and you can say, yes, I deserve this and much worse. The lack of gentleness, the lack of meekness in our society leads to a declining birth rate. What? Yeah. People who are more concerned with career and status than in bringing up children and families. It leads to a rise in the welfare state. Well, I can make all the mistakes I want because the daddy government is going to take care of me. And I deserve all. It's not ask not what your country, uh, what you can do for your country, but ask what your country can do for you. This is a lack of gentleness, 
a lack of meekness, a lack of humility. Selfish fathers and mothers, fathers who see the ideal paradise as a Labrador retriever that can achieve you, retrieve your beer while you rest in your recliner. Rather than ideal fatherhood be working to serve and bring up your family, defending your wife and your children. Mother who craves the status that comes from a boss than from her family. Lack of gentleness results in disobedient children never satisfied. I was reading a newsletter from a local church this week. And in the upper right-hand corner, I guess is their motto. It had all these, you are, you are, you are. It said, you are worthy. You are enough. This is a church that is laboring to separate men from Christ. This is a church that is laboring to fit men not for heaven, but for hell. Friends, Christ is telling you today, you're not enough. You're not worthy. And until you come to grips with that, you will not be fit for the kingdom of heaven. Christ is our only boast. This is what happens when Generation Me starts a church. But what value is there in being gentlemen? Come on. I look, I know how it works in this life. It is if I don't, if I obey all this, if I'm a gentle and a meek person, if I'm not self-assertive, how do I get ahead? Well, Jesus says to you in the latter parts part of this verse in Genesis uh, Matthew 5, 5, that gentle folk. Well, they have a right to the whole earth. It's your right. Gentle folk have a right to the whole earth. Now, I need you to follow me here. Land, let's look at the verse here, here with me. Matthew 5, 5. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now, Jesus is sitting there on this mountain or hillside preaching to these Israelite folk. We want to understand how is this resonating with them. Well, it's resonating with them in this way because land is a birthright central to their thinking. Remember God's promise to Abraham in Genesis 12 and Genesis 15 and Genesis 17 is I will give you land and by the way, this land, this property will be yours and your children's. Land, land, land. It would belong to him and to his offspring into eternity. Thus, to be Abraham's heir was to be a landholder. But God cast Israel out. In Israel's punishment, we find that the inheritance of the land is not a birthright solely. Oh, all these warnings from Moses that your heart needs to be needs to be circumcised, that you need to obey the Lord. This is ultimately and finally about your faithfulness to God in Christ. 
we find that the inheritance of land is not a birthright solely. It must be accompanied with godliness. Those, therefore, who dishonored God, we find in places like Leviticus 18.28 and Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 9, those who dishonored God polluted the land. And what was a necessary consequence? The land spewed them out. They were expelled from it. And as Christ now comes preaching to them these beatitudes and saying, listen, the meek, the gentle, these are the ones who will inherit the earth. We find that this is their situation. Here's a people. They've got an inheritance. Many of them are thinking, our right is coming. Our right is coming. At some point, this land is going to be restored to Israel. When are we going to get it? When are we going to get it? You think of the apostles at the end. Are you going to restore the kingdom at this time? And they're all thinking of this little patch of land. And let me say, many people today still think that this pertains to a little patch of land. Christ recalls this promise. Listen to me. Christ recalled this promise and he expanded it. Now, the people of God inherit the whole earth. When Paul reflected on Abraham, he said that Abraham would inherit not this land defined by Joshua chapter 1, this land, all of it, the whole earth, Romans 4.13. So this promise remains, listen, for those who are the true children of Abraham, not by birth, but by faith, the whole earth is yours. He's saying, we're replacing Israel? No. I'm saying that you once were an alien, as Paul says, to the commonwealth of Israel in Ephesians chapter 2. Now you've not been made a separate people. You've been brought into that people. You're made a part of the commonwealth of Israel. And guess what? Made an heir with them. Not to a strip of land, but to the whole earth. You doubt me. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. Begin with me in verse 11. Therefore, Ephesians 2, 11. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, so he's definitely addressing non-Jews, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at what time? That time in the past before your conversion separated from Christ alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. So what? Now you're part of the commonwealth. There are not two trees, brothers and sisters, in Romans chapter 10 and 11. One tree. You were strangers to the covenants of promise, of land, of offspring, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Christ's blood has engrafted you, not made you a new people, but brought you into the true people of God, and you are an heir with all the people of Abraham who have true faith. 
And guess what? You know what your inheritance is? Do you know what your right is? The whole earth. But never forget that this promise comes to you only by and through Jesus Christ. He earned it. He earned it. He earned the earth. The earth is His. It is preserved for us by God. 1 Peter 1, 7 and 9. It is not taken by warfare. It is granted as a reward for Christ's righteous fulfillment of the law. Everything we find in Deuteronomy 27, all the blessings of the covenant came to Christ and we get it by adoption. But I want you to think about this as well. You get the earth. Heaven is not some intangible floaty place. When the earth is renewed, you will have it. Heaven is dirt and worms and trees that grow roots. And gentle and meek people will possess it. In fact, the whole earth will be made gentle and meek, won't it? The lion will lie down with the lamb. And children will play at an adder's nest. The promise of eternity is real. Eternal life is going to be here in a renovated way. It will be a life of cultivation. Think of this. A life of cultivation in communion with the triune God through Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, Christians are known by their gentleness and have confidence in a future inheritance. The mark of true conversion is not that I have learned how to perfect my projection of my own righteousness. It is that I recognize I'm the chief of sinners. I'm marked by gentleness, by humility. Service is my joy. It is gentleness spurred on by a true sense of self. In fact, with more time, I would say that we could link gentleness to every single command in the second table of the law. Honor your father and your mother. Do not kill. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. You see, all of these flow from a man who is meek. Those who are marked then by this gentleness have this confidence. Here's your blessing. That through Christ, you own it all. Let's pray. Our Father... As we think about this, this inheritance that comes to us, this right to property that comes to us through Christ Jesus, what an amazing thing. Father, but there's ultimately one confession we must make. We are not by nature humble and gentle and meek. So we ask you then to help us to put all of our arrogance, all of our vainglory, all of our self-confidence, self-esteem to death. And let us boast only in Christ.
Christ. Our elder brother, who has earned everything for us. We praise you in his name. Amen.